I titled my message this morning, The Impulsive Decision. Now this is what we should not do, right? Is make impulsive decisions. And there's a great example of <clears throat> from the Bible. I'm going back to Genesis again today. <clears throat> I know I'm not supposed to have a bottle because it makes noise, but... <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> Since my habit is to sometimes begin to preach as I get all the way th- before I get all the way through the scripture, let's go ahead and have a prayer and then we'll have the reading of the word. Heavenly Father, we again we praise you and magnify you and Father, we thank you that you are on your throne in heaven. Father, we thank you that you rule the nations. Father's Proverbs or Psalms tells us You rule the nations, Father. We know that you are in control. And Father, we thank you for that. We praise you. We thank you for your guidance. And Father, we pray for your guidance here today. Father, that your Holy Spirit would be upon us. Father, that every word spoken would be for your glory, for your honor. uh, That it would just lift up your name. Father, that you would receive all the the praise. And Father, we just just pray that you would just, just let your spirit just permeate this place. And Father, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 5, verses 19 through 34. Hear the word of the Lord. Now this is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel the Syrian of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah his wife conceived. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two nations. So of the two Babies that were in her womb, there were going to be two nations, two great nations. If you remember God's promise to Abraham, I will bless you, I will bless you, and if you, you will be a great nation. So here is his son, and his wife's going to have twins. I'm gonna make, there's two nations in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. Afterward his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was sixty years old when she bore them. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents. My friends, here's two young people. They're twins, but they couldn't have been more opposite, could they? They couldn't have been. They were polar opposites. One is a skillful hunter, and the other, he dwells in the tents. And we're going to see more. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his ate of his game but Rebekah loved Jacob so now this is like transitioning it shares the birth and how one loved one and one loved the other but so this is like a 
There's a jump in time. Now, Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I am about to die, so what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, Swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank and arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. May God add, add his blessings to the hearing and the reading of his holy word. And I do hope you saw the impulsive decision there in that scripture, didn't you? I hope you saw that. We're going to get to it. But first, you know, a couple of Sabbaths ago, the message was about the shaping of Abraham's faith. And we learned how God called him to leave his country, to leave the land of Ur, of the Chaldeans. And he was 70 years old when God called him out. He told him to leave your home, you go to a land that I will show you. And whenever God called him, he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. And at that time, he and Sarah had no children. But God said, I'm going to make you a great nation. My friends, Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was finally born. Thirty years, thirty years before God granted that promise and gave him a son. I find it interesting that his son and his wife, Rebecca, also struggled conceiving and having a child. Isaac was 40 years old whenever he took Rebecca as his wife, but he was 60 years of age when the twins, Esau and Jacob, were born. So it didn't take quite as long as with his father, only 20 years, but still, it took 20 years. It reveals how earnestly they desired a child. It said that Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife. Whenever you read the passage where Abraham took his oldest and most faithful servant and sent him to his father's land to find a wife for his son Isaac, and that's where he went and found Rebekah. But it says whenever that servant came with Rebekah and brought her home to Isaac, when he saw her, he loved her. He loved his wife, Rebekah. And he pleaded with God for his wife that they would have a child. <clears throat> and I found some information as I searched this out that says, not only did Isaac plead and pray to, to the Lord for this situation, but they prayed together. I found some information that says that Isaac and Rebekah actually went to Mount Moriah and prayed, prayed for this thing, that they would be able to have a child. Now, if you think back, Mount Moriah, that is where Abraham took Isaac to offer him as a sacrifice. As I was talking, that was the ultimate test of Abraham's faith, was on Mount Moriah, where God says, I want you to take that son that I have given you, I want you to take him to a place that I will show you, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice to me. And Isaac, my friends, was old enough to know what was going on. There was a servant that went along for a while, but Abraham told the servant, you stay here while we go on. 
So they go on up the mountain, up on Mount Moriah, and Abraham prepares that altar. I know I talked about it just a couple weeks ago, but Abraham prepares that altar. Isaac carried the wood. I went back and searched. Isaac carried the wood himself. And Abraham placed it upon the altar, bound his son, and placed him upon that altar and was ready to sacrifice him. And we know that the angel of the Lord called out and said, don't harm the child. But he was old enough to know what was going on. But God provided. Whenever the angel stopped him, he looked and there was a ram stuck in the thicket. So my friends, do you think Isaac did not go, thank you God. Thank you God. And what did they call Moriah means? God shall provide. So Isaac knew in here, he knew that that's the place. Mount Moriah is the place where God provides. He provided a ram that day that his life was spared. So we're, we're better to go than the place that he knew of as the place where God provides. Let's go there and pray together. Let's go there. Maybe God will provide the answer to our prayers. And He did. God was pleased with Isaac. Pleased with his faith. He granted him favor. And Rebekah was able to conceive and bear the sons. You know, having children today is still a struggle. A struggle. A struggle. Have a struggle talking sometimes, don't I? It's a struggle for many people. They say that 12% of people have a hard time conceiving and having children. Of course, today we have all kinds of technology. We have that in vitro fertilization. They can take and freeze eggs and genetically screen the embryos and all this. And many people today will spend upwards of $20,000 or more trying to have a child. Well, Abraham... Isaac and Rebecca, they didn't have that privilege, did they? They couldn't go to the in vitro specialist and try to have a child. They had to rely on pleading with the Lord, praying to God. They became desperate. You know, we've all most likely had an experience or a situation or a crisis in which our prayers became a desperate cry for help, haven't we? We've had that. We've had those emergencies that it's a desperate cry for help that we cry out to the Lord. But you know, whenever the answer comes, it's extra special, isn't it? How special were those children? When that baby finally comes, man, it is so spe- they're all special. But it's extra special when you've prayed for 20 years for one, isn't it? Sometimes it takes a lot of patience because God don't always answer our prayers in our time frame. There's a reason for being patient and waiting. Our scripture reveals how we should not make quick and hasty decisions. But first I want to look at, before I get further into that, I want to look at the birth of Jacob and Esau. It said that, so when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, and he was like a hairy garment all over. So he was a fuzzy little fellow. So they called his name Esau. And afterwards his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. The giving of names in the ancient world 
was a very significant act. A name was believed to affect a person's destiny. So the person giving the name was exercising some degree of control over the person's future. This is crazy, I know, but as I was thinking of this, I remember when I was a teenager, you know, we listened to country music. My dad listened to country music. And the late Johnny Cash, Karen's, yep, she got it. Johnny Cash had a song called The Boy Named Sue. And it was a funny song. It's kind of like he's just telling a story. That there was a man that he knew that he wasn't going to be around to watch his son grow. So he named that boy Sue. And the story goes on. He's telling the story how he got in you know, all kinds of brawls and fights and this and that because of people making fun of him. But he grew to be very strong, very determined. And it, but he vowed that, man, if I ever meet that man that named me Sue, I'm going to let him have it. So he did. He finally met that guy that named him Sue. And boy, he just, I mean, he cleaned his clock. But he said, why did you name me Sue? He says, because I knew I wasn't going to be there, and I knew that if I named you Sue, that you would have to be tough and strong to endure it. So he, he did that for his destiny, right? But the song ends with, if I ever have a boy, I'm going to name him George and John or Sam, anything but Sue. It was, it's a funny song. I mean, it's been so long, but it just came to my mind. But oftentimes, names express hopes or blessings. Other times, they preserve some detail or occasion of the birth. Esau was named by a physical characteristic of himself. Esau means hairy. Whereas Jacob is named by a peculiar behavior during his birth. Because Jacob means to follow behind or to supplant or to circumvent. So we know that that did foretell his destiny. Because he supplanted his brother. Let's reread the important part of waiting, being patient. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter. Well known. He's well known for being a skillful hunter. A man of the field. So he was a man's man. But Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate that game. He enjoyed when Esau would go out and be successful and come home and cook some kind of stew or grill up whatever he maybe was successful in bagging that day. <clears throat> but Jacob, he was a mama's boy. Jacob cooked the stew and Esau came in from the field and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name is called Edom, because he sought that red stew. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I am about to die, so what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Basically, he traded. He traded his birthright for a bowl of stew and some bread. How many have ever said, man, I am starving to death? How many have said, boy, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse? We've said that a time or two probably. I know I have. <clears throat> but we all know. 
we know that we couldn't actually eat a horse. Right? And we know that we're not starving to death because we maybe missed a couple meals. Esau knew that that was a great exaggeration of how hungry he really was. <clears throat> he knew that he was not going to die if he didn't get that bowl of stew. He may have been very exhausted. We've been there. We've been exhausted and tired and weary. But surely, he would have lived another day. He surely would have lived another day. A great exaggeration. Talk about a great exaggeration. There was an Arctic explorer who said once, it was so cold where we were that the candles froze and we couldn't blow them out. That's nothing, said his rival. Where we were, the words came out of our mouths. They were pieces of ice and we had to fry them to be able to hear what we were saying. <clears throat> Great exaggeration, right? You thought I was going to tell you a fishing story about exaggeration, huh? That fish was this big. <laughs> they say that this incident with Esau and Jacob and the trading of the birthright for the stew may have actually taken place away from home. If you remember, in those days, they would have to take the flocks and the herds and take them to different areas to, to be able to graze them. <clears throat> Force is getting... More horses as I go. If you remember Joseph's story, they, that he sent Jacob sent Joseph out to go check on his brothers where they had the flocks of grazing. So they say this may have taken place away from home. So whenever Esau came back to the camp, if you will, he was weary, he was tired, he was hungry. Jacob had stayed there. There was probably other servants around, and there was most likely other servants around to hear this trade. Because otherwise Esau could have just denied it. Said it never happened. But there were probably witnesses there. Because if they were at home, Esau could have very well just went to mom and dad. Hey, I'm hungry. What's for dinner? What do you got on? So it very well could have taken away from home. Or it could have been that they were at home. And he just followed his nose to that wonderful aroma of the stew that Jacob had in the pot. But either way, <clears throat> Esau's decision to give up his birthright to his younger brother is an extreme example of impulsiveness, of making a decision without taking time to think about it, without taking time to pray about it. My friends, the eldest son would get a double portion of the father's inheritance. Think about that. He just traded away his double portion of his father's inheritance for a bowl of stew. The birthright is a big thing. Not only did he get a double portion, he became the spiritual leader of the family, the one that had the greatest authority over the entire family, He's given all that up, all that up, for a bowl of stew. He was given up a great deal of prosperity. In Genesis 24, 34 and 35, when Abraham sent a servant to find a wife for Isaac, whenever he's introducing himself and telling him why he's come to look for a wife for Isaac, 
He says in verse 34, So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly. Speaking of Abraham. And he has become great. And he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants, camels and donkeys. So he's telling Rebecca's family, she will be very well taken care of. She won't have to worry about a thing. She'll be well taken care of because my master's son was, will be very prosperous. So Isaac was very prosperous. And that would have been handed down to Jacob and Esau. And Esau could have had a double portion of that inheritance, that blessing. So how did Esau come to the mindset where he would sell that birthright so easily? Where he could only see that which was right in front of him. The immediate concern in his life. To think of only that and not think of the future blessings. How could he despise that birthright? To me, it's a major flaw in his character. When how, he, how carelessly he was in his decision making. To favor the immediate that sensual satisfaction. Friends, we might judge him, but how many are like that today? Probably too many are like him. That we only think of the immediate, the immediate concerns. We allow them to dominate our lives and not think of the eternal inheritance, the eternal blessings that God has for us. His personality just demanded instant gratification. My friends, we can't be like that. To paraphrase, he basically said, what good is my birthright if I have to wait for it? I want it now. I want blessings now. I want fulfillment now. I know that a lot of what he was given up was material blessings. But he didn't treasure that inheritance that could have been him. It's more than material blessings. Because remember the promise given to Abraham. God says, in you, all the world will be blessed. All the world will be blessed. Jacob was looking to that. He wanted to be that blessing. He had that desire to be the one that all the world would be blessed through him, through his line, through his children, his grandchildren, his great-great-grandchildren. But Esau didn't have that same desire. That same desire to be faithful to God. Believe me, they would have known what was foretold about being this family who all the world was going to be blessed. Jesus says on his Sermon on the Mount, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, in Matthew 6, 21. You know, people will usually only trade or sell or get rid of something that they used to value when they value something greater. Esau did not place a high enough value on his inheritance. We need to place a great value on the inheritance that God has for us. Ephesians 1, 11 through 17 says, In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, 
being predestined according to the purpose of him who called, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. In order for us as children of God to make good decisions, we must remember not to be impulsive. The word, the word impulsive comes from the word impulse, and it refers to actions done or committed very quickly, with very little thought or planning behind them. That's not the way we want to make decisions if we're a child of God. We need to bathe our decisions. Now, I'm not saying we need to you know, bathe the decision what we're going to have for breakfast. I'm talking about big decisions. Big decisions. Decisions that have eternal consequences. There's other big decisions in our lives. You know, buying a house is a big decision. Or building a house is a big decision. Bathe it in prayer. Who you're going to marry is a big decision. Don't do that impulsively. Pray about it. Make sure you're equally yoked together. Buying a car is even a big decision for some people. Have you ever wondered why car salesmen try so hard to get you to make a commitment to buy that car the day that you walk onto that lot? When you walk onto that car lot, they want to get your <clears throat> in that seat. They want to get you in that behind that wheel, especially if it's a new car. They want you to smell that wonderful aroma of that new car. Well, they don't come that way. They put that smell in there. Right, David? The smell of that new, that plastic and rubber and all those adhesive actually stinks, but they put that new car smell in there. They want you to smell that aroma like Esau smelled that stew. They want you to make an impulsive decision. They do not want you to go home and pray about this for three or four days. Because they'll realize, well, they'll go home and think about, oh, how long I'm going to have to make those payments. Oh, that's a lot of money. Maybe I better just be happy with the car I have. Car salesmen want you to make an impulsive decision. My friends, oftentimes we can look back in our lives, there's many things if we would have prayed about for a week or two or a month or a year that we probably would have made a different decision. Let's bathe them in prayer. Bathe them in prayer. For many people, their only concerns in life is what is the here and now. That temporary thing. The temporary things in life. But they have no concern for eternity. But my friends, that's where our main concern needs to be. That which is eternal. That which we can inherit from God. Must not be an impulsive decision. 
but one that we pray about. 2 Corinthians 4, 13-18 says, And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up, Jesus, raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace having spread through all through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Our light affliction. Esau thought he was going to die, but my friends, that was a light affliction. A light affliction. A very light affliction indeed. My friends, let's do not be like Esau. But let's look to that eternal reward that God has prepared for us. That inheritance that we have. The promise that we have of eternal life. Bathe that in prayer. Make that decision. Make the good decision. Decision that God would guide you. That God would lead you, that God would help you to be wise. Seek His counsel and His guidance. Go to your Mount Moriah, wherever that may be. And my friends, God will provide. Most importantly, God will provide eternal life. Seek that which is eternal, not that which is temporary, like that little bowl of stew. Amen? Amen.